0: Welcome everybody to the Ballymun Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Bell. Week two. Okay, so welcome to the second Ballymun Podcast. Today we are here with Hugh Graves and Carl O'Brien from YAP, um, Hugh Graves, Local Ballymun Drugs Task Force and Carl O'Brien from YAP. We're here today, we're going to be talking about services, how they've evolved over time, and we're going to be talking about how people can access services. So I suppose if you just want to say a little bit about yourself, you, your role within the community and your role within the Local Drugs Task Force, um, just for the listeners.
1: Yeah, Um. well, I grew up in Ballymun and I've been working for the Local Drugs Task Force since it started in, 1997 so um, so we've obviously been funding and building up services and developing services and working with local projects to uh, meet gaps in service over that time so um, yeah so I'm the coordinator of the local drugs task force which is a partnership of the local community with statutory agencies and local community voluntary agencies to um, respond to drugs in a number of different ways from a multi-agency point of view
0: and Carl for yourself, your role within the community and your role within Yap? So yeah, I um, started working in Ballymun
2: 2004 as a project worker over in Yap um, based in the flats at that time so again was part of the, the transition across to the new building and um, my role then was a project worker, Um, my role now is a community addiction counsellor so I'm involved in a range of activities Um programs, groups, one-to-one work, treatment, planning, case, case management, key and drop-ins. Um, I suppose we can talk a bit more about them as we get
0: as we get through them, but that's kind of an over quick overview of the role. Okay, thanks very much lads. Um, as services Carl, so how, how would an individual access service within your building, like what's the process? Mm. What, what happens when they come through the door? If you could just speak a little bit about that, just for people to get a feel of it. Yeah,
2: um, I suppose many routes. So one is just coming through the door um, into 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 the centre, and I suppose being kind of assessed in the moment there. Um, there will kind of again there be a brief assessment done with the person, and um, again at times we there might be an initial response there, or else there will be somebody then allocated to that person in terms of the matching the need that they presented with in that assessment. Again, you might have concerned others ringing in um are just presenting to the door too. So that can be a different response. And again, we look at that need and make the appropriate referral maybe into family support services and are located in the building too. So people can arrive or they can ring in. Referrals can uh, come in also from the community and outside the community too. So the usual process that's there, there's a referral form or there's an email that can happen too. Um, so yeah, they're the main kind of ways people just present yeah and then we try to find what the what the kind of map of services that we have there that matches their need
0: okay so yeah so it's like a, a key working kind of process case management kind of process with with the individual
2: if that's what the need is like i suppose with yap we work from people within that continuum of care from low threshold after care and then there's a training and education part of the service too so if somebody comes in um Within the, the kind of the drop in centre, say where it's a more low threshold intervention response, the aim would be to get them into key work uh, and care, care provide care plans. But sometimes the the interventions that's required at that point might be more harm reduction interventions. So we need to respond to that need first, and maybe when engaging with with, with them, whoever it is that presents. We can then create an opportunity to get into key work and a care plan. And get get them kind of again linked more into the more the activities that are happening
0: day to day. Hmm. So that's from a service point of view. So you from from a from a different angle as a person who provides or looks at services or tries to establish services within the community. How does that process work? How do how do how do you find that need within the community? Um, what steps do you take?
1: Well, the local drugs task force were given a kind of a. Uh, their own sort of autonomy about making decisions about what was needed in each area so different areas around dublin particularly and then the rest of the country not so much but around dublin in each of the local drugs task force areas just different kind of uh, ranges of services based on what's needed in in that area what was already there when the set, when the task force was set up and what so some of the task forces for example set up methadone centres because there was nothing in their area where we already had one in Ballymond. So so basically w- what the idea was you meet gaps in service and you look at what your what your needs are and you, you try and respond to them. So we already had uh Donville House, the red brick in Ballymond there was about three hundred and eighty people on Donville uh, when the task force set up. Uh, so that so the the that kind of treatment need was being met from that point of methadone maintenance point of view. So we were then looking at you know providing a continuum of services. So if you start from full recovery, where we put a lot of money into the local job centre because we wanted people to you know have a career path in front of them, some the jobs. And, jobs back into education etc so we still fund around you know different services in the job center and then if you go down the other end we had sort of um the contact service which was a kind of um uh, outreach service for you know look, looking to help people sort of make contact with services and get them into appropriate services according to their needs and have sort of uh, drop in sort of available and stuff like that so we sort of both ends so Things we, we we put in place at, the to- at at the start where the the women 's project, which was the star project, was a women 's project because we were aware that, no, I that yeah. uh, women found it much much more difficult to access services because of all sorts of different reasons from um, being dominated by male drug users and partners, to sort of childcare issues, to all all sorts of stigma. different different things, stigma obviously. Um, so we we so so th- you know you meet gaps and obviously then things have evolved as as time went on. So uh, you know you adapt and you you change according to, to needs and um, we we still try and do that uh, you know based on what the different services and different service users are telling us are is, is the requirements locally. And, so.
0: and I suppose that need that is that information and um, that stuff coming from the services that are already within the community, um, I suppose service users, um, families, um, forums, um, networking. Yeah, well
1: from a whole range of different things. So for example, The Infant Parent Project, which people would know Vera and Mary uh, that work in the Infant Parent Project. So a number of different people were telling us that there's a lot of um, parents, particularly women, that were struggling with drug use and negotiating their way through maternity services with drug use and the whole stigma thing, and um, especially if they were in in kind of... um, active kind of heroin addiction and stuff like that. There was a a lot of problems, you know, dealing with the the Rotunda hospital and, you know, having sort of referrals to social work and all of that stuff. So a lot of, including social workers who we also partner with, uh, were telling us there's a big issue here. So we were able to use, we were able to take funding off one service that wasn't really uh, doing well and put it into that service. And now we have a really, really good engagement with with, with kind of, um, Parents, parents with with kids, up to about eighteen months who are struggling with some sort of uh, drug, alcohol, sort of issues and that. So, so being responsive to those kind of things as as they come up, you know.
0: Yeah, go on, go,
2: on, go on. I think just on them, I think three stand out for me, um, in terms of the work that I do, but also then how the responses have emerged, as a as a kind of again a connection from drug task force to what's happening in the community. Uh, as it's happening, so the the IPS the independent support I think is a as an initiative. Um, it's very unique, and I all the work that goes on. And uh, you mentioned that question around how people how how do people engage? I think that that again that that was a, a cohort of kind of service you potential service that that weren't engaging with the community services, but also then what was blocking them maybe in terms of the appointments that was happening in the in the matter. But then the GP partnership would be again would be something that emanated from research from what was happening in the community um, in terms of uh, the benzos kind of um prescribing that was going on locally so i think again the task force um having having the the kind of the the radar on what was happening in the community was able to get involved with the gps um to initiate that collaboration between yap and the GP partnership. So you ask that question around how people come in through, so that's another way that uh, people within the community can say there's a an obstacle, there's a struggle, there's an issue with, with substances prescribing um, their own personal kind of prescription, so that again, GPs have a, a network available in the community. But again, that came from the task force seeing that that was a need for people within Ballymun. But then uh, as a community response service, we were able to provide the skills to be able to be, to be in there. Um, and then the other one will be the Boxing Clever Initiative too. so again there was an opportunity the task force again to be able to support what was happening in the community and looking at how we can map a program that combines fitness and education and progression for people so the task force has been really supportive to continue the, the, to implement that to deliver it so yeah there are three bits to stand out for me there's more there's a few more just, but for just me personally there yeah. that uh, I kind of again the um, the, the Box Clever
0: and, one is very interesting could you just like give a yeah. little low down on that and maybe talk about a little bit more about the aims and objectives of that and um.
2: yeah so I suppose the the programme programme actually kind of started very much on the ground uh, a couple of couple of people who were finding the journey through recovery and we're looking to have access to, to more of what's available in terms of community resources. So it, it very much came from the ground up. A um, couple of worker local workers. Then began to look at how we could map that, in with a I suppose a program that would provide recovery, education, reintegration. Um, but something that was strong and it was also the identity. We we talked a bit about stigma. We touched on it but there was a bit around again how identity, how fractured identities were in the community weren't great for people in their recovery journey either. So we, I suppose the development of that um, to where it is now is that it's at a 20 week program. It combines sport, fitness and, and rec- oh, sorry, fitness, education and recovery uh, over 20 weeks. It's five sessions a week. We spent two in the gym. We spent uh, three kind of again, working together on education and then there's another session that just looks at the broad map of recovery capital and how that that kind of can assist people in their recovery journey. So um, it, there's QQI integrated into it because we know the the role that education can have in, in the recovery process too. So it, there's QQI level 5 and level 4 that that's again potential. We, we talk with people being on the programme being students or athletes because we believe about the strength and the power of them identities in the recovery process too, and that people can let go some of the, maybe some of the fractured identities we talk about that may may limit people, um, and and again can, can their own self worth and self confidence too. So, and many, a lot, we can talk and about it all day. So many, many
0: participants would be on that. Um, give yeah. Or
2: take. Uh, I think so. We've I think there's over a hundred people have graduated very over good, the journey of the good. program. Um, uh, but we can have we could have, again it's, it's it's fluids. You know, I'd, I'd we'd fill the room yeah. as much as we can. But uh, you know, locations and things have haven't changed over the last few years. We'd probably take up to sixteen,
0: and then we just walk with the sixteen. Jordan Colvert, was it was it done differently or um, how did you? Manage? We were halfway through one. Um, we were ten weeks
2: into into a program, and obviously things had to wind down because we we want the stu- we want the students to be to, to be accessing the resources that's available to the, in the community. So obviously DCC began to wind down with the gym, DCU and the community also again that, that wasn't available as a location. All services begin to wind down, so we had to pause it after ten weeks. So what we've we've had an opportunity to run like a boxing light just to keep us going just yeah, to try yeah. and bridge the yeah. next program so we've, we've done what we could do yeah. to keep uh, to keep it alive i suppose and in people's in people's thinking so we potentially have another uh, life version coming up but then we're going to run with the full program again in january so that will be fully accredited and um, and just to try, like in the recovery conversation um that's happening like again it's Been mapped nationally now. I know Cork, Limerick, um, Galway, um, the North West also have taken on. So, again, the ingredients seem to work around people and their recovery journey. And that's a a program
0: funded through the Local Drugs Task Force, Yeah. yeah. yeah? Yeah, yeah. So, that's very interesting to me. So, that program obviously came about through thinking with yourself, your team, your project. And then you present that to yourselves and then use um take a look at the aims, um, objectives and the need and then um see if it's wordy there i suppose yeah, well. <laughs> you're wordy. Well, yeah. well just i think
2: like the interesting thing just before is is the collaboration between voluntary and statutory so again the hsc Hall, in his role originally and brian that that, that there was collaborations happening yeah. between the community and statutory and again uh, and you can talk to that how the task force manage to kind of get into the heart of that too yeah.
1: yeah one of the big strengths of alimona is that people work very closely together and work well together uh, between statutory and voluntary agencies and that and uh, Boxing Clever, Bally Runners. There's a whole range Mm. of different things that come about from people like the Bally Runners is uh, the Ballymun Job Centre, local drug services, the Gardaí and a a range of services coming together to to meet particular needs and stuff like that. So when people get together and work well together, things, things, Happened and just mm-hmm. really good um, interagency cooperation and yeah. trust, I suppose, around here. And it's it's because it's such a small area. Then that you know you're you know you can't avoid people. You have to work with them because mm-hmm. you bump into them all the time. So <laughs> um, if you create, so if a, you give them a no a bit harder. You can't say no. <laughs> um. Uh, so yeah, I think um, you know. If you create a kind of um, the structure that allows people to work together, then things come off without uh, that you know. T- t-
0: and I think that collaboration is yeah. really like seen and heard and visible within the community Jordan Recovery Month with all the services coming together and you know the different activities and events and the different approaches that people take through the month. yeah absolutely. really shows that yeah. uh, collaborative piece throughout yeah. the month of September yeah um i suppose is there any other programs Carl, within yap that you've been involved in you said 18 years you're involved in yap mm. wow that's a long time to be working in Ballymon. you're not a ballymun resident you're not no so you um, stuck with us but for now, this but long now we've roots though i yeah. don't have
2: roots my granddad would have been living in siloic um, yeah. so yeah i played for ballymun right um, for years yeah Um so yeah i've certainly Spent a lot of my youth around Valley One, okay, as well. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I knew where I was going when I got the job. And anyway, mm. uh, so yeah, eighteen years, um, and again, what you talks about? There's something, there's something about the the connection with with the community, but also within people that work within the community, although don't directly live here. I think again, there's that, there's there's understanding. There's, yeah, there's there's a bit of that. Um, but I think what comes alongside it is the people that we work together with in the community too. I think, yeah. I think that that's something that um, the community benefits from. I think there's a real drive in the people and there's that bit around people acknowledging the expertise that we all have and just trying to come together to develop services and to create new initiatives. And the bit that you were asking that question around, is there any, like a lot of the initiatives that I think have worked really well have emanated from research too. And against people in this room here have been part of that too who've seen what's happening and know that again by working together we can create really effective responses uh, in Ballymun for, for the service users that use our services so I'll go back to sometimes collaborations overrated <laughs> it can slow down bitch but I think at Ballymun it works really really well yeah
0: yeah I um, suppose this question is for both you, and whoever wants to answer first um, um, some of the services that are available and that have worked and that have been successful in the Ballymun community, have they then been reviewed by other communities and I suppose other communities adopted them in their own community? So has that yeah. kind of... um
1: You have to be careful with this question because okay. uh, you really annoy other people from other areas, but things like you can sort of point to things like Ballyrunners and it's been, it's been rolled out in a couple of different areas now and um, People came here and spoke to Carl and Michal and that you know, sure. about, you know, how to you just do it and what to, how did you put it together I know they have some of the versions. Some people are better than others are acknowledging yeah. the to, to support they got from Baddy Moon. Mm. Um mm. so mm. Uh, but you have to you have to just let that go of you know, you just yeah. have to but the, things like the Infant Parent project as well has been tried in, mm. in, in other area you now as well. So uh, you'd hope that there's there's good um and then, but would you think you and I know this might this
2: might this might not uh, we'll see where this goes but like again we, we've we also I think as a community we've also looked to what's happening elsewhere. 100% so again, that was my next question yeah, yeah uh, we've gone to Cundalk yeah. and again on the research based on the research we asked what's happening what could be yeah. effective in the community so it's not it's yeah. not that again we've been this ego held around
1: what we do in Ballymone I think that we're very open around what's, what else is working yeah, yeah, sure. We brought the um, Stratton Families Project from Cork up to Ballymun so you know yeah. we're, we're we're yeah 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 we're not. We're so not they established the board. pieces together too. Yeah. Again, as a map from from, yeah. from uh, west to western mm. regional. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the research was done on it from some from another community, and then we adapted it well. Yeah, in and then community.
1: there's things that are working well in other communities that we'd love to do yeah. here as well. That yeah. that obviously money is an issue and you know, resources and what have you. So but we have to just keep keep um keep changing as as needs change and stuff like that. And drug use has changed. Yeah. And um the, the, the sort of um uh threats is the wrong word to the to local young people and that to, but the the you know the there there are things the risks, I suppose is a better way of putting it, the risks to young people have changed yeah. over the last five or six years certainly with the change in use of drug or change in nature of drug use as well so um, we have to we have to look at how we respond to those kind of things as well and you know that's why we've been able to sort of rejig the easy street project for example to um to 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 sort of address those kind of those kind of risks now for young people and that so
0: in terms of uh, like a service provider and a service funder you're how long are you working in the community now you in the community or in the task force? In, in the task force and the community, I suppose. Well,
1: I'm not going to say because I, I only look about 30, so I don't want to say <laughs> that, um, uh, but uh, about 27 years in the task force. 27 I mean,
0: uh, years and 18 years of service. Have you seen that um, service provision, that service really change and grow over the, over the years and, um, and become more better and more established within the community?
1: Yeah, well, you have to be careful about saying better because, uh, there's, you know, there's always people that say, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that and yeah. how come there's still just going on in the area Improv, and so forth. We'll so, <laughs> uh, but I think certainly people have, um, they've been learning that they've been going about what works and I think the recent developments are really exciting and um, we'll see where they go and that's things like, you know, having a, a trauma-informed area and stuff like that and, you know, just really recognising what you know, what's the backdrop what you're working on, and the, the whole multi generational sort of stuff, and really getting to grips with how, how we respond to that as a as a full community and stuff like that. So, um, so that's that's where we need to bring things to the mm. you know as we develop as as we go, you know. Carl.
2: Yeah, okay. similar. Yes, I think. Um, so we we touched on like some of the origins of of yap 40 years in the community as a community response and the heart of that was in community people wanting and um, something to change around the, the kind of again the trajectory for young people what was happening within the community and concerns and risks that were, were there at the time um where we so that was very much the heart of people having having that as a um, as a right, having a voice within the community and wanting things better, where I think services now are very much informed by, and, and should be, by best practice, by quality standards, um, by research. And I think, again, there's something that we all, kind of, again, work from now within badly one mm. combined with being community people yeah. and still wanting the, what, the, what was in the heart of it years ago too. Yeah. I think that, that, how I see, both have come together. So um, I think that will only benefit service users in the community, yeah.
0: Okay, so this is a question that we've been asking all the um, speakers uh, who've came into the podcast, and I suppose it's just because it's so diverse and people see it, view it, and view it so differently. Um, we just kind of want to get a, a general sense of it. Um, what does recovery mean to you? If I was to ask you that question, what does recovery mean to you? will throw you in at the deep end force. It doesn't have to be personal, it's just, you know, what recovery means in general because it's so diverse and people view it so differently,
1: you know. Yeah, I, I think, well, the, it's just hope, I suppose, is the, the big word that comes up when, when you just ask that question straight out. And when you're, like the recovery gig there before COVID, COVID's just wrecked everything for a couple of years, by the way, but um, the recovery gig there a couple of years ago and the sense of hope that and people taking ownership of it themselves and saying right this is mm. this is our community now, and this is where we want to bring the whole recovery. this is the direction we want to bring recovery in mm. and uh the the everyone that's involved in the planning will tell you the ideas that are coming from the 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 um people in recovery themselves like you could fill about fifty months yeah. <laughs> of the ideas yeah. Yeah. so um there's just this you know just this creativity in that, so I, t- I think, but the big thing is hope, and um one of the things that really stands out for me is just hearing people that not necessarily involved because their family are involved in in are, are having problem drug or alcohol stuff, but people from just looking on and saying you know i'm really I'm really getting this where, where this is coming from, just local people and that's that's really I think that's really exciting because it's that's the whole community approach that we're we're hoping for yeah from a yeah
0: from service provider point of view from yourself yeah,
1: or it, and yeah
2: it's probably changed for me again and that's probably based on the, the momentum I know the, this thing around recovery journey all these different bits to put on it but I think when you unpack that and you, you're in you're experiencing the momentum that's there now around recovery and how it's so broad um for people in different ways and uh, uh, there's an energy that exists now around recovery for yeah, me big time uh, yeah saying
0: that too like it's visible again you know whereas p- previously in the community like people were afraid to talk about recovery yeah you know if you're in recovery you kept it yourself sure. or, or the recovery community sure. you know and you didn't really come outside that whereas now it's like this but is me projecting on walls now in the
2: community like there's, yeah. there's flag there's, there's something there that's just there's a momentum that so it's like most things when there's a momentum, it's it's a runaway train in, in yeah. some way. Um, so I think that's that's a really powerful uh, thing thing in terms of the again the whole recovery movement. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's actually hard to really refine what it is because it is so yeah. unique um, to different people in terms of what it is. I do believe though it's about also I think you point around hope. We're in there. But I think it's also around people's quality of life too, um, yeah. and the connections that they can make through their social, through their family. Um, so yeah, I think there's again we probably could talk all day about it. Um, yeah. But it, for me, it's it's there's an energy in the current recovery movement that's really really powerful.
0: Yeah. So um, that was fascinating listening to his lads. Um, also, what I'd like to understand is that, Carl. Let's say, for example we can't provide the service within the community. There's a lot of services happening in, within, within the community. What's, what, what are other general steps that might be taken in terms of residential treatment or tier four beds mm. or um, I suppose other ser- um, mm. recovery services like NAAA, the relationships with them?
2: Yeah, again, I think as a map of Ballymoon, there's, there's all that available. Mm. So I think there's a range, there's a menu there um, for anybody that wants to, again, have a connection to them different supports that's available and ones that fit with, again, what they kind of, how they want to uh, maybe begin their journey or sustain their journey in, in recovery too. So I could talk a little bit about entry points um, within within the community, radar then, and then how they might end up at YAP. So... Again, we we have the drop in centre so it's an open access point. You asked that question earlier around how the people are so people can just arrive at the at the side door. There's an interaction there. I suppose the aim would be that we can we can build on build on that um engagement that happens there and that people can come come in, access the building and we may be able to move them towards the the stabilisation program, which again is a, is a is a new initiative that we've we developed in collaboration with um, local workers too that there's a gap in people beginning their journey yeah. um, and one thing they need to do is to again focus on their pattern of substance use yeah. as a way to again um, build their confidence build their motivation um, and begin to make little micro changes that might be huge steps on the bigger kind of uh, journey of recovery so uh, the stabilisation programme is, is, is two, two sessions a week and they come in there and again, we can offer them a, a range of tools and um, space to process their experiences too. Part of that then is obviously that can, that can move or it can kind of again, people can withdraw or that. For those who remain and may look then towards for the treatment plan and again, we've a, we've a full menu available um, for t- uh, sorry for some of them they might decide Barrymore House is is that residential piece so the community might be too tough yeah. to negotiate and um, change for them and they might need to go into somewhere like Barrymore House as a stabilization residential but then again you might open the door to a, a detox over in Co- Coondara which again can move quite quickly yeah. for people once everything's lined up in the way that it uh, um, yeah that it needs to be in order to get the door open and towards detox McFerry's again a range of uh, opportunities there if people want if people want to link in cannabis c- uh, cocaine detox so it's, a, it's another example of that and then you mentioned the bit around so tier 4 so if, if people are looking for that secondary bit and they're looking to um go to the Rutland they're looking to go to Tabor House or they're looking to go to Smarmore. again as a collaboration piece with the, uh, the task force and the HSE maybe you can talk to Uh, that piece too. So um, and then there's also i mentioned recovery capital and then there's the role also that the fellowships have within within a support map within the community and we know the strength and the connections that people have within meetings but also outside of meetings too and they're swimming in the sea and they're doing on there they're you know, again there's a lot that happens. uh, there's a lot available Mm. for for people um, to navigate that route that residential so that sense of
0: belonging to something somewhere you know what I mean in, yeah and in, in I think that in happens it, in, in the journey yeah,
2: um, yeah. but I do I, I, I do believe that there's a there's a very clear map there no matter kind of depending on the person how they want to navigate that there's a clear map there uh, uh, when the engagement begins and when it begins to um,
0: kind of move on to. okay and you for yourself in terms of that
1: yeah well I I think You know recovery in the community works for a lot of people and for some people it doesn't and some people have sort of all sorts of stuff building up for them in terms of family issues and housing issues and um uh you know there might be debt drug drug related debt issues and all sorts of different reasons why the community recovery route isn't the best route so there is a a, a we mentioned the tier 4 beds, so Uh, There's a list of different centres around Ireland that are approved by the HSE for uh, different kinds of uh, treatment options for people and they're mainly residential. Um, So people can work with local agencies to um, identify what would work for them and then they can apply for, for HSE support and just a big credit to the HSE for being open to this so we can have a referral from a local community service into one of these other residential type places, if that's what's best suited for for that particular person at that time. Um, Obviously, there'll be a lot of work having to be done with local services to find out, you know, is is this the right option for you? Is it gonna work for you? you, How committed are you to Mm. doing that yourself? Have you got any medical issues that go along with that? Like, is there a benzo issue that you need to deal with, those kind of things? Are you on sort of, um, some sort of low dose maintenance? The, all of those things would have to be assessed before people could, you know, make that, you know, before that referral would be made. But the, the good thing about it is the HSC are very quick to approve then. If, if, if the referral is made, they're very really quick to, to give approval for those beds. So they're, 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 they've been very useful for a, ra- a range of different individuals so far
0: that's amazing yeah. thanks very much that's yeah. answered the question so just to uh, finish up lads and just to say uh, thanks very much for coming in and sharing your experience with us and you know talking to us about the service the local service and how it works and how it operates but also just to say if there's anything else that you feel you know that i mightn't have asked that you might think might be important for a listener out well, there
1: but just to say Carl touched on something there around the, the uh the different sort of uh support set so, so, self-help groups, I don't know if that's the right term to use anymore, but anyway, I'm going to use it um, and but what goes along with that is something that you touched on is that, you know, obviously if people are in active drug use or active drinking, they're, you know, they're they're occupied by that activity for a lot of hours every day. And when they stop, then there can be a big vacuum. And thankfully, with that, with that fellowship, that's a, uh, that's that's there with a the different uh, support groups that are self support groups that are there now. There's also a great social outlet and you know, there's football teams, there's, uh, different craft groups, there's arts groups, uh, there's music, the swimming, uh, you know, people forget they're in Ireland and it's bloody freezing in the (laughs) water, but they go, you know, they go swimming every day and so forth. So there's a whole range of different things Mm. that that people say, well, what the, what the hell do I do then? Mm. So, you know, there is, there is, um, there's hope, in terms of recovery hope yeah. there
0: for, for filling that void yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah i think it's a really important yeah. point isn't it a lot of people yeah. asking
2: that questions of themselves around what will recovery be like um and i think you painted a clear picture that again there's an awful lot that again is available yeah. to people within kind of that process too and um the connections that's there the activities you mentioned the cycling the football the, it's just again it's the quality of life Um, that that opens up for people, um. So again, that them, yeah, them opportunities are there.
0: Yeah, again, thank you, lads. Really appreciate it. You know, um, just from thinking of myself, looking back in time, you know, that sense of loss of connection to the community for a person who might have been involved in substance use. And then to hear the amount of services and the amount of things that are available for them now is able to, you know, give them that connection back to the community because I think that's vital in early recovery, you know, for people to be able to establish that connection again with families, peers, community, um, services, everybody. I think that's a really uh, important point and I think you have talked about that a lot today. So, again, thanks very much for coming in. Um, We really appreciate it and roll on Recovery Month. Okay, so I'd just like to thank Ballymun Communications because this could not be possible without them. All the tech work that goes on in the background, um, this podcast would not be able to happen without them. I'd also like to thank the Local Drugs Task Force, my own team and Easy Street staff for supporting me. Um, Also, I'd like to thank the Steering Group um, for recovery month and the planning group for recovery month for giving me the go ahead to starting this podcast also i'd like to thank anybody who's been involved in the podcast any of the speakers or any of the people who have kept their time to support this um, podcast thanks so much also folks check out Ballymun recovery social media for up-to-date information in september hashtag value recovery hashtag recovery month to share your posts also folks don't forget to wear purple ribbons throughout the month of september to show solidarity for recovery and also wear purple clothing if you can whatever that may be t t-shirt socks whatever it may be handkerchief wear purple to show solidarity and show support for recovery and again this week we're going to have a recovery story an initiative that was set up last year um, and we hope you enjoy the story
3: This is Valerie's story. My story of alcoholism, like many others, is a typical one. As a young child, I was very clingy and needy, always anxious and very, very insecure. I often felt like the square peg trying to fit into the round hole. School life was hell. I was bullied by others and humiliated by teachers, so I became a loner. Life improved when I went to secondary school. Lots of change and different people to mix with. It opened my eyes to what I had been missing. I made friends easily with others who were quite like me. I thought life was great. As the years went on I made more friends and all of a sudden I was with the in crowd and I couldn't believe me luck. That's when drink came into my life. As a group we did everything together. Family didn't matter anymore. I had friends, real friends and life wasn't good, it was great. The social scene of the weekend was telling lies and saying I was going to the cinema on a Saturday night just to get the money for drinks. We pooled our money to get as much drink as we possibly could. It was always quantity versus quality. I don't even remember having any issues buying drink. No one ever refused us as underage. We were served in pubs in town, no bother at all, and we ranged in age from 12 to 17 years old. Having said all that, when I first found drink... I thought, where have you been all my life? I felt I had arrived in life. I had confidence, courage and a sense of humour. I could get up and dance and talk to the boys. It was wonderful. However, looking back now, I drank for all the wrong reasons and drank way more than my body could handle. I always drank to get drunk and always to excess. I was the one that needed to be minded by either getting sick or falling asleep. Even after all these years, friends always say, you just liked your drink. They never thought I had a problem. I continued through life normally enough. I got married and had children, but I still needed a drink. Any excuse or not, I drank. I turned into a drunk and had to have a drink every night. I could function well enough to go to work every day, but over time I lost really good jobs due to my inability to carry them out properly. I'd wake up every morning and swear that last night was the last drink I ever took. Lo and behold, by four o'clock, my resolve was gone and the cans were bought. The cycle started all over again. I always knew I would have to give up the alcohol, but I thought I'd end up in hospital for that to happen. Bills went unpaid and mortgage payments were missed. The fear of losing me home didn't change in my ways. Drinks stopped working for me as an enjoyable pursuit a long time ago. I was now a slave to alcohol. I hated drink and I hated myself for being so weak. Then, seven years ago, I made the decision to stop drinking. I had lost both my parents and my two sisters. I was alone. I had my own family, however. I missed my maternal family. I missed my sister who died in 2013. We were very close. I watched a nurse for eight months while she battled cancer, but I still drank every night because I had the best excuse for it. Through the grieving process, I thought long and hard about my life as it was and realised that I had two wonderful children and a grandchild that I really, really wanted to see grow up. So on June 25th, 2014, I drank my last drink. I will not say it was easy, but it was well worth it. I availed of all the supports available out there in my area. They were amazing. I've made some lifelong friends through AA and other services. When I made the decision to give up drinking, one thing worried me. I thought I would never laugh again. How wrong was I? I can now go for the coffee and have a good laugh, as I would have when alcohol was consumed. I suppose I am living testimony that recovery is possible. Is turning your life around easy? Definitely not. But with self-belief, sheer determination, goodwill and the use of existing and accessible supports out there, you too can begin a journey of recovery. I sincerely hope you do.
4: This is Stephen Story. I just wanted to take this opportunity to share my experience about recovery and to talk a little bit about where I came from, which is Ballymun. I grew up here and ended up in drugs at an incredibly young age. My life went downhill very quickly and it was misery. My life was horrible when I was using. For a few years it was great, but for me I very quickly got strung out. I ended up hopeless and I was just miserable. I just have no other way of putting it. Every day was just getting up, going to the clinic, getting methadone and going back home to the house, sitting with me poor ma. I had her heart broken and suppose when I think about it now the people around me had to watch me in that pain and sadness. It was horrendous for them, my sisters and my family. I thought it was all about me, you know. I blamed outside stuff on how I was and so I went on like that for a long time and then something happened to me. I was homeless for a long time and I spent most of my life in jails, institutions, hostels and social services. I was homeless this night, I will never forget it. I was sitting on Dorset Street, and one of my sisters lived in Drumcondra and my other sister was living on a flat facing the old triangle. I was sitting right in the middle of where they both live, and I had nowhere to sleep. I had no smokes, I had no money. I was tired, I was lonely, and I was hungry. I was broken, and I literally could not find the strength to get myself up off the floor to go and ask any of them to help me. Even in my worst time, I still not summon up the courage to ask someone to help me, and at that moment, I had an experience where something internally broke inside me. I just had enough. I literally had enough of that life. I had this drive for life. It just came alive inside me. I thought, I'm not doing this anymore. I know deep down in my heart somewhere I was a decent kid and that I deserved better out of life. My circumstances and where I was at the time, I could not envisage any kind of hope living like that. I started asking people to help me. I went to Peter who was good to me since I was a young fella. He's a great man and he helped to get me into a hostel and I started getting stable on my methadone. I started reaching out, going to day programmes and eventually I got myself a bed in the Lantern Centre. I physically came away from the drugs for the 50th time, because I'd done that hundreds of times before and my mind would tell me, you can just have one more, it'll be different this time. This time going in, I knew I was done, I'd had enough. I was not going back to sleeping and lying ways, fucking lying on the street corners, and abuse my body and haunting the people around me. I just knew that I deserved better. So I chased that and the light and the spirit inside me started to grow. I started to get opportunities. Like I said, I went to detox and then I went to the Rutland Centre, which is a really posh sort of treatment centre at Temple Oak, for anyone that doesn't know it. I was living off full of steaks and bleeding top of the range field. I was having bats, I was in the element. It was great, they had a lovely garden out the back and you could walk around it. It was great. I loved it and then people would listen to me, talking about my feelings and how poxy my life was. It was great and I enjoyed up there. My sister came come up to see me, she probably doesn't know, but I always share this in meetings when I'm doing chairs and doing anything about recovery. I had a CP day in the Rutland Centre where your family come in and everybody sits down and they ask someone out of your family to come and tell you what it was like for them living with you in addiction. I had been about two months clean and was starting to put on a bit of weight. I was looking well, I was dressing okay and I was fresh. I thought she's gonna be delighted, you know, she's gonna think I'm a great fella looking great my whole life ahead of me now, they're all going to think I'm a grey fella, I I went in and I sat down at that meeting that day, I'll never forget it. My sister came in and the counsellor asked her what it was like to live with me, using and she fucking sobbed and talked and cried and sobbed for 20 minutes and telling you now I was bleeding dumbfounded. I had no idea the impact that I had on her as a bleeding drug addict, it really woke me up, it really bleeding did. That started a melting process in myself where I started to realise that I had a lot of work to do and so that's what I did. I kept going. I got out of there and I went to Solche, I did the day programme, did some education I got into sports. I'm real energetic, I love moving, I love training, I love a real high energy and I needed an outlet for that because I was stone mad and I needed something. I needed something to keep me going. I got involved in sport and I've done loads of stuff like that over the years. I've done a fitness and education programme at Yap. I did a walk in here. I did loads of stuff throughout my recovery and I went to college. I educated myself, I got a degree in sports coaching management, stuff that I never ever dreamed of because I left school when I was quite young. Also being from Ballymun, there's a real stigma attached to being from Ballymun and I never thought that I'd be able to do what I did. I was able to get the support and help that I needed and I just went after it. There were days when I woke up that I didn't want to go and face people. I felt really out of sorts at times but I just kept going. People in my life always say to me, just put one foot in front of the other, even on the hard days. I just get up and do what I have to do. I've got some great stuff in my life, and the most important thing in my life is recovery. Shared in meetings, admitting that I'm an addict. I'm not ashamed of that, and that's what's really important for me, because i admitted that to myself. I get great freedom for that. I go to 12-step recovery meetings, I try to help other people find recovery if they want it. There's a way out of that darkness, that misery and there's an amazing life on offer but there's a lot of hard work that has to go in. I've had to put that work in and I'm very glad. I'm just really grateful to be asked to be part of this. It's amazing celebrating recovery. It's just great. It drives recovery and it gives people hope. That's what we really need because recovery or addiction is destroying people's lives as we speak in Ballymun in the city all over the place. It's not talked about enough that people actually get to get out of addiction and get to live full lives. I'm really grateful my baby is my pride and joy. I love her to bits. I've never known love like I know it with her. She lights up my life, and every time I look at her, she's just free. She lit up. It's just amazing. Family is a huge, huge thing for me. and in recovery, and it's been an ongoing battle for me. Family is something that I've really worked at, and I'm really grateful. I live a full life. I have a job. I have all this shiny stuff, like card, tax insurance. I have my own house. I'm grateful to Yap and all the guys that helped me out when I was a young fella and I was a torment and they broke their backs to help me out. They were always there for me. I suppose that's one of the reasons why I took this opportunity to share my experience because I'll never forget the time and effort that people put in for me when I was an active addiction. and I was broken, they always said the doors open for me. Thanks a million, everybody.